Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. Tonight, I'll float away. Settle things I don't want to say. Cause I'm not gonna change for you. Alright, man, it's the good stuff. Yeah. It's the Laugh Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm the L Train. Over there is Mr. Two Frames. How are you, sir? Howdy. The Gift. Awesome movie. This is a tale of a young married couple whose lives are thrown into harrowing, t- uh, harrowing tailspin when an acquaintance from the husband's past brings mysterious gifts and a horrifying secret to light after more than 20 years. This is a mid-century modern home. This view is fantastic. The lighting is great. You like it? Yeah, do you? This is good. <laughs> I'm very happy. Excuse me. Is your name Simon? Yes, sir. It is you. Hi. We went to school together. This is my wife, Robin. This is, I didn't get your name. Gordon Mosley. Uh, Gordo. Gordo? Oh my God. I'm so sorry to recognize you. It's <laughs> been a very, very long time. Welcome home, smiley face Gordo. How do you think he got our address? That's an expensive bottle of wine. We should thank him. I believe that the bad things in life, they can be a gift. That guy's odd. He's a little socially awkward, but I can be like that. Gordo, hi. Hi. <laughs> After high school, and some people stay exactly the same. Thank you. He's delusional, thinks that we're friends. Thanks for a lovely dinner. Fish food. You don't find that a little troubling? I said that I wanted fish. And all the visits when you're alone. They used to call him Gordo the Weirdo. I think he's nice, and he's been very generous. What you're talking about is a one-sided friendship. You're essentially being forced into a breakup. There's no easy way to say this. Don't visit us anymore. Yeah, I don't think the gifts were that mysterious. <laughs> I mean, they were wrapped up in paper and everything, but... Yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of mystery. No. I don't think. Like, I think there was a bottle of wine. I had that paid as a bottle of wine pretty quick. Pretty sure when they gave him the fish that I wasn't that surprised. So, written and directed by Joel Edgerton. This is his first directing credit. He wrote one of my favorite movies from last year, The Rover. Mm-hmm. Love that movie. Guy Pierce and Robert Pattinson. Uh, he also wrote the movie Felony. Have you seen that? No, I thought that was a TV series. I don't think in so. Australia. It's got Jai Courtney in it. Right. You like him as a runner. Yeah, he, uh, he's given uh, Tom Cruise a run for his money. Pun intended. Ooh, good one. Uh, Jason Bateman stars as Simon, and his wife is Rebecca Hall, who's Robin, and Joel Edgerton stor- stars as uh, Gordo, the weirdo. And uh, he uh, he's, I don't know. I, you say it's a great movie. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a good, this will be a hidden gem. Why do you think it'll be hidden? It's well, one, this didn't get a whole lot of marketing. It's coming out fairly late in the summer. I don't think a whole lot of people are going to go see it in theaters, though. It did do over $10 million last weekend, which is pretty good. But I think this will be a movie that you recommend to people down the road. Um, I think it's it comes at an interesting place in terms of our cultural zeitgeist. Because this movie, I don't think this movie can be made in the same way 10 years from now. I don't think you could tell the same story because the distance between our past and present mm-hmm. is shortened due to social media. And I don't think you're able to hide things 
from your past anymore as much as you were able to when I was a kid. I don't think you're able to hide things as much as you were able to in the past. You can't, I don't think you, I don't think, I think you're less able to escape your your mistakes and shortcomings mm-hmm. than I was. And I think the kids of today are going to be a lot less able to do it because of social media and, and the internet. So well, It's funny you say that because both of these films have to do with things that went on during high school. Yeah. Or this film has to do with uh, things that went on during high school. I just saw the movie Unfriended, which is a horrible horror movie. Uh-huh. But that has to do with bad stuff happening to high schoolers. And that's all around social media. The happening whole movie time, is showing right? you a computer screen and they're video chatting and going on like Facebook and stuff. So, yeah, no, I, I do think I agree with you. You can't really hide the past too much nowadays. So this movie sort of operates in that uh, sort of frame where uh, Jason Bateman and Gordo had a relationship of some some type mm-hmm. in the past. And uh, his wife is just beginning to discover it. Um, his wife, played by, uh, as, I, as I mentioned, Rebecca Hall, seems for me to be the, the main character in the movie, sort of the the driving force, the linchpin. Yeah, the movie seems to play out before her eyes. She She's our uh, conduit to yeah. the story. She's the surrogate for the audience. As she begins to discover stuff, we begin to discover stuff. I think that she's always had thoughts and feelings about her husband that were sort of unresolved. Gordo sort of starts to manipulate her or the circumstances in such a way so that mm-hmm. her misgivings are justified, so... And as I was putting together the uh, clip for this, the the trailer mm-hmm. for the show, I noticed some things in terms of the way that the characters interacted with each other that are not revealed until the end of the movie. But I noticed nuances in their performance that I wouldn't have known without knowing some of the other intricacies at play. Well, that's part of the fun of the whole thriller genre. I think, because thrillers work on the premise of reversal of expectations, right? Right. Basic irony, and the way that you pull off that dramatic irony can take you into whatever genre of film you want, or any genre of storytelling, whether it's comedy or drama, or in this case, thrillers. And generally, the reversal of expectations in thrillers also revolves around a character changing. You know, people that we think are bad become good, good people become bad people. No one is as they seem early on in the movie, and a good actor is going to layer in nuance in their performance. Um, Bruce Willis in The Sixth Sense, for example. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of nuance so that the next time you go back and rewatch that movie, you see all those little details. Uh, Shawshank Redemption with Tim Robbins, same thing. Mm-hmm. This movie, you see it more in the two male leads' abilities to portray those multiple conflicting characteristics. You don't see it as much with Rebecca Hall's character because she doesn't need to do that. Mm-hmm. She's sort of static in between the two of them. But I, I like that sort of mentality, that, that aesthetic, the jump, the guessing game, the whodunit quality. And then Edgerton in this movie does a really good job of setting up things that have a payoff later. He does mm-hmm. it visually. I, I was taken into the movie from the opening shot and uh, sort of reminded me a little bit about the, of um, uh, Ex Machina, just in, in terms of its uh, pacing and uh, its deliberateness. So I, that that's some of the stuff that I appreciate about the movie. I like the way the story develops and the way that the setting contributes to that, like I did with the movie Ex Machina. Mm-hmm. 
So those are the, some of the best things about it, where the male character's leads. I liked Rebecca Hall, and I liked the, uh, the symbolism of some of the, some of the choices, some of the directing choices in the movie. I think it makes it a quality film. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I would also say there's a lot to be said about the set design. There's a lot of glass in this movie um, that creates very open spaces, but at the same time, the movie feels kind of claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. Like this house that they're in kind of tightens around Rebecca Hall and causes her a lot of problems. Like she she starts to become very anxious that mm -hmm. someone's watching her, and that's because this whole house is surrounded in glass. She should be wide out in the open, but it feels small. Almost every shot in this film, you're looking through a window, or mm -hmm. there's always glass in the background. You're able to look out into the background, but you never really see anything. There's also, sometimes that glass is obscured. Mm -hmm. And so the clarity that you would want in a relationship is symbol symbolized by this sort of uh, obscure, foggy um, glass that you, you have to, there's always a character behind the glass or in front of the glass and the way that they have to interact with each other. They also do that with sound design. Early in the movie I noticed that as well. There's the obscurity created by one of the characters when he breathes on the glass and then he begins to talk to the girl or to Robin on the other side and uh, um, you sort of hear it mm -hmm. from her perspective. It's sort of muffled. Yeah. So I, I like that close attention to detail that uh, Edgerton brings in the screenwriting and in the directing of the movie. But I didn't really, I mean, I liked it more, I think, as an intellectual exercise, as opposed to, like, enjoying the movie in any personal way, like, or feeling anything about the characters. I, I can see what you're saying. I mean, I wasn't particularly drawn to any of the characters, but I generally like the acting performances in thrillers, and to me, thrillers tend to be the hidden gems. A lot of the films that, like, if someone said, here, tell me a movie I've never heard before, heard of before, but, you know, it's kind of cool, interesting, different, I'd recommend thrillers to them. Like, what other movie does this remind you of? Um, I mean, you mentioned The Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense. Uh, some modern thrillers right. where you're not real sure, you know, our characters, who they say they are. Uh, Magic Magic with Juno Temple. I thought you were going to say Magic Mike. No. Uh, Magic Magic with Juno Temple. Um, Take Shelter with Michael Shannon. Okay. More of a psychological mm -hmm. depth than trying something that's hidden. Uh, Prisoners. All right. Yeah. You know, I, none of those movies are fantastic, with maybe the exception of Take Shelter. Mm -hmm. And that maybe I was just in the right mood for it. But yeah, th those are all good little films that I don't think a lot of people have heard of or have gone and seen. But, you know, thrillers in general, you really have to understand how the audience is thinking and how they're reacting to your film. Because, again, there's this reversal of expectations. You have to come up with clever twists that the audience doesn't see coming but still seem plausible. Okay. But I... All right. I, I would I mean, say in this movie, it's, it, a lot of more, it was a lot more telegraphed. Really? I think so. I'm trying to, I'm trying to give it its due, but it, it seems like... I don't... I I don't know. Maybe I was just, like emotionally removed enough to sort of see where it was headed. Mm -hmm. It didn't seem to be that surprising where it ended up. No, but I think it's... I was thinking this is a movie that I would teach to my class if it wasn't rated R. And it's rated uh -huh. R mainly just for some language. I think there's some... There's some profanity. Casual sex scene. I mean, I think yeah. there might be some brief nudity or something. I don't know. They're, they're in showers a lot. 
I don't think we see anything. I don't but, know. I, yeah, I, don't I know. mean, it, it's not a hard R, I no. guess. Could have been a PG-13 movie, I feel, with a couple of changes. Yeah. Um, but this is a movie I, I feel like I could teach the kids. There's a lot of uh, mise-en-scene. There's a lot of framing. And like you talked about, there's a lot of stuff going on in the foreground and the background. Characters are moving um, front to back in the film, in the uh, shots, which mm-hmm. is interesting because most films just have a moving left to right or right to left. Uh, yeah. Well, you mean most films that aren't like artistically inclined, like commercial yeah. films, so that don't have that sort of mentality about them. Mm-hmm. Some of the misgivings I have about it involved the places where Gordo wasn't. Like there was a big stretch of the film where he wasn't in the movie. I guess his present was presence was there, but his acting wasn't. Mm-hmm. And I don't know that that seemed to those those sequences didn't didn't seem to have as much impact. They wanted them to. Mm-hmm. I think the movie asked you to have that sort of uh, emotional stake, but for me, it wasn't working. Well, apparently Joel Edgerton was afraid of uh, pulling a Kevin Costner. You know, when Kevin Costner directs a film and puts himself in it, he puts himself in pretty much every single scene. Right, but I don't, you know, see Waterworld, The Postman, <laughs> Dances with Wolves. So apparently, Joel Edgerton for the first two weeks of filming didn't have any scenes, and he filmed all of his scenes in seven days. Uh-huh. So he may have deliberately been trying to minimize his part because he was afraid of putting too much of himself in there. I guess for me, it didn't work in terms of the movie. I would have liked his presence more, like his physical presence more in the movie. I think it would have made, given it more menace. Well, he does have a wonderful physical presence in movies. I'm thinking of things like uh, Warrior, where he's an MMA fighter and fights his brother, Tom Hardy. Uh, I really liked him in The Great Gatsby, where he played Tom, who's a despicable character in the book. Mm-hmm. But he actually makes him kind of likable, and you understand his rationale for everything he does. Do you feel the same way about him in this movie? Uh, I think we're getting into spoiler territory. All right. Uh, uh, we you, can come back to that, I guess. Yeah, we, we'll come back. Um, you you jumped a couple of times. Yeah, yeah it has a couple of jump scares, and uh, yeah. I, I'm not the best for jump scare. <laughs> I, I get jump scared pretty easily. Yeah, yeah. you're jump scary. Yeah, we, we've covered that. Um, I also like that the characters never feel like they're delivering monologues. Like, here's so the time for me to just... Yeah. Um, there's a great bit... Um, Simon, Jason Bateman's character, says to his wife, back then everybody had a name. I had a name. Simple Simon. And his wife says, kids are cruel. And his reply, kids are honest. <laughs> and I felt like that, you know, that just that was a great little moment of truth, I felt. It was just, that's some good writing. Uh-huh. I don't, yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. I noticed that in the trailer when I was, that I put together for the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. So, um... I don't disagree with those points. Yeah, no one has a grand speech in this film. No, it's it's mostly determined by their actions. I think that there is like Bateman does have a pretty pretty significant uh I guess paragraph or so towards the end of the movie. Okay. But uh there's some other some other uh characters in it that that p- perform well. Uh, did you recognize the girl from uh Fargo? Mhm. Uh did you recognize Busy Phillips? No, I didn't recognize Busy Phillips, but I did recognize Allison Tolman, the girl from uh, Fargo. Right. Busy Phillips was the uh, another wife or something. Mm. And Allison Tolman plays uh, the girl, Victoria, that... No, not Victoria. What the hell? She plays the next-door neighbor. Yeah. Who has the young baby. Yeah. I thought at first 
I, oh, well, I don't want to spoil anyone's experience. Uh, is there anything else you want to say about it before we get into spoilers? Because no, there's some spoilers. stuff that, that, that could be kind of interesting. I, I, I think, uh, I think it raises questions of moral ambiguity and identity that make it a, that create a compelling, uh, film. So I, I definitely recommend it. This is a better movie for me than something like uh, Mission Impossible 5. But I do have some a little bit of problems with some of the stuff that happens. No, I, I'd recommend this too. Generally, it's the thrillers that I recommend to you that I go and watch, I feel. Because they are kind of character studies, like you were saying. Yeah. There's some interesting stuff to debate. All right. So, all right. So go see it and enjoy it and let us know. Save this part. Don't don't go right into spoilers if you haven't seen it yet, because there are a lot of twists in the movie that we're going to talk about right now. The man that hath no music in himself, nor is not moved with concord of sweet sounds, is fit for treasons, stratagems, and spoils. Do you think Bateman's character could have done anything differently to to stop this from stop the events as they sort of unfold in the movie? Ooh, could he have? When he first sees Gordo, could he have apologized to him, and then would that have stopped Gordo from uh, from enacting his revenge? Possibly. Um, I also thought it was interesting. They set it up in the film. Gordo approaches Bait- Bateman right when the cashier is asking for his address. Yeah. So Gordo gets information. So Bateman just can't say, "Oh, you know, great catching up with you," and just you know never see the guy again right. and never have that contact information. Do you think that was happenstance, or do you think that was Gordo's plan? Did he know that the guy was going to ask him for his address? Oh, and approached him at just the right moment. Yeah. I think that was happenstance. Yeah, I mean, but I, I just I thought that was an interesting little detail that yeah. the film layers in. Yeah, because, well. And then you also have Bateman telling his wife to get Gordo's phone number and to give him theirs. Right. Bateman's not even doing that, so there's this interesting distance Bateman's already setting up between him and Gordo. Well, Bateman knows what he's done. He knows what he's done, but he's not even willing to give Gordo the time to exchange phone numbers. I mean, how long does that take? Yeah, I mean, that that, that's another way of uh, minimizing that person. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gordo comes around... I mean, when you first see Gordo in the background, you can read it, that he's been stalking them all along, that he doesn't just notice them in the furniture store. Mm-hmm. So you can set, you can, in your mind, you can justify either response that he's been stalking him and that he was going to enact this revenge either way, or that he's just a, I don't know, a happy, it's a happy accident that he runs into this guy who ostensibly ruined his life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he's going to take out his revenge on him. So I don't know. What's your take on uh, Bateman as a realistic character? Do you, I mean, yeah, yeah, right. no, I think he's realistic. I, I think people don't change their stripes. Uh, my wife and I, we were talking about this with um, not really a, a an acquaintance, I guess, from our past. And she just kind of, she she thought, well, maybe this guy can change. And I said, no, guys don't really change. If you're a douche early in life, you generally don't stop being the douche later on in life. I'll make the case for the inadvertent douche. All right. In my own personal life. So you think Jason Bateman's the inadvertent douche? No, I think he's consistent douche. I think I was, I I was much more of a jerk than I am now, believe it or not. And I have, at times, tried to atone for things that I've done in the past. So, 
I mean, probably I haven't done anything major since I got out of college, but I think when I was in high school, I was a lot less feeling, <laughs> a lot less uh, aware of other people's feelings and a lot more likely to be someone like the Simon character was. Uh, but I think for me, it was always a method of keeping people at a distance because I don't generally, I mean, I never really got close to people because I was always moving around. Mm-hmm. My dad was in the Air Force, so I like to keep people at a distance. And sometimes I did that by being sort of mean to them or doing things like I wouldn't deliberately lie about someone like to the extent that Bateman does. And it, and it was self-serving the things that I did in a sense, but they were more out of a sense of protection mm-hmm. of the self. But Bateman seems to be one of those people who likes to manipulate people and likes to be in charge and wants to play the little mind games and the little like power games. I think we know people from our personal lives and even from work, there are some people, you know, they always, they have to be the center of attention, the center of power, I guess. Mm -hmm. Bateman struck me as just one of those types of people. And I don't think that ever changes. And that, that would lend itself towards uh, Robin, Rebecca Hall's character, having these misgivings about Mm -hmm. him all along. You can't hide that part of yourself or you can, but only for so long. Bateman does a pretty good job of blowing up at the right time and trying to rein it back in or pull it back in. But he's never, I mean, the movie, when the movie ends, all of these people are in like really weird places. Mm -hmm. So it's not that I think that there would be a sequel or that there any need for one, but I don't think Bateman would willingly let Gordo just go. (laughs) Especially as vindictive as he's been all along. Well, he's got all this evidence. I was thinking about that evidence because the evidence is a dude in a mask. Mm-hmm. I mean, they could do DNA evidence of the child. And along with a card that, I mean, he has all these other cards that Gordo wrote. Right. You've got the handwriting. I mean, Yeah, that's where the movie, another place where the movie <laughs> fell down for me. Like Gordo gives him a videotape of his own personal rape of his wife. Yeah, it'd be pretty easy well, to... Maybe it was a rape. It cuts I mean, at just might, the right time. He might not have ever touched her. But either way, he... I mean, he clearly drugged her. Mm-hmm. But would she follow up on that? Do you think uh, Robin would... Do you think Robin might go off with Gordo? No. <laughs> he wins. No, <laughs> but I mean, that's the other thing. What is his end game here? And I think that's probably the part of the film I have the most trouble with. Gordo goes away. He's defeated or pushed aside. And then he has these grand plans for revenge that we're not made aware of until after Jason Bateman has confronted Gordo and physically assaulted him. So we feel that Gordo's almost somewhat justified in his revenge. The problem is he's already been trying to do the revenge. Right, he'd already done those things. It's um, the Oh Brother, Where Art Thou moment. Um, There's a line in Oh Brother, George Clooney has stolen a pocket watch. Yeah. He goes, well, I knew he was fixing to betray us. Yeah. You didn't know that at the time. <laughs> right. Well, I was waiting till I did. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, the, so the movie cheats like that. Mm-hmm. And that's where that those, those sort of things sort of annoyed me a little bit. Took me away from the movie somewhat. Another big thing I had a problem with, and you sort of like scoffed it off after we watched the movie, was... I don't think that they have a realistic relationship with their animal. <laughs> I was really kind of irritated when the dog showed up. 
early in the movie. Mm-hmm. You hear the little bark in the background, let you know that Gordo's in the scene, and then immediately, here we go. Now they're going to use this defenseless animal as a conduit for menace. And that's just like, oh, does the dog die? <laughs> so that annoys me in movies, I don't know. But Well, I liked, I thought for sure the dog is done for. But he comes back. And you sighed, and I laughed in the theater, and I could tell everyone else in the theater was like, what the hell is so funny? Or what <sighs> the heck is so funny? Yeah, I was annoyed. But then again, they don't, that dog is a huge dog. There's no payoff. I mean, it works in the story, but I'm talking about their relationship with the dog. It, when she goes running, she doesn't take the dog with her. He's a St. Bernard. So what? Dogs like to run? Yeah, St. Bernard's not so much. Really? Yeah. They're bred to run through the Alps, delivering little bits of uh, wine and They walk deliberately. They're rescue dogs. You have to learn to run to rescue. Yeah, going up the hills of San Francisco, or of uh, L.A. It's much like the hills of the Alps. Yeah. Don't see it so much. No, I mean. Just in terms of like, it's like they really, it was just there just to serve the purpose of being a tool for Gordo to use. As well, a bit of suspense. Yeah, because anything that they're going to take the time to show you in a film has to be paid off for later on. But it didn't It didn't give me any sort... It made me more emotionally distant from Simon and his wife for them not to have a realistic... Would you have liked at the end that Gordo has trained this dog? And <laughs> like like he's, Yeah, and he <laughs> sits the dog on Jason Bateman that partly, you know, he was stealing the dog to terrify them, but he was also training the dog to not bark when he comes into the house. And the dog really is his dog now. It's loyal to him. Would that have been better for you? No, no, because that's not even the problem I have with it. The problem I have with the whole dog is the, is the owner-pet mm. relationship. Mm. It, made me, it made me think of them as just being sort of stereotypes and just sort of types and not real. And I don't really get emotionally attached to people in movies anyway, but if I have any sort of emotional reaction to to a character in a movie, it's generally going to be negative, especially if they don't have a meaningful relationship with their pet. <laughs> That's the way I feel. So, Well, you told me after leaving the theater, the problem is you kind of side with Gordo, too. Yeah, in a way. I mean, well, in a lot of movies... Recently, I've been finding myself to sort of agree with the with the villain of the movie. I don't agree that he should rape or terrorize the girl. No. I, I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. But Jason Bateman's a jerk. <laughs> so he deserves the, some of the some bad things to happen to him. And if he had been contrite, I think, if Bateman's character, Simon, had been contrite mm-hmm. with his apology early on, obviously you wouldn't have had a movie, but then you would have, it would have made Gordo less... Uh, it made made you feel less sorry for him. Yeah, yeah. No, if Jason Bateman had apologized sincerely, yeah. Instead, Bateman's a jerk. He's always a jerk to Gordo. There's a scene later in the movie where he approaches Gordo, tries to apologize, and physically assaults Gordo. Yeah. So Gordo will accept his apology. And what's interesting is if Bateman had physically assaulted Gordo earlier in the film, it would have been justified. When Gordo was terrorizing them and stealing their dog. If Bateman goes up and hits him, you would have been fine with it as part of the audience. But the way he does it later in the film, you go, no, I don't like this. I don't like you now. And I like that no one is really good. No one's really bad. Or no one's fully bad, I guess I should say. Well. I mean, everyone has some dirt on them. 
even uh, Rebecca think, Hall yeah, has a little. Yeah, you tried to make that argument. I can't remember what you were saying about that. She has a addiction problem, I think, with drugs and alcohol. I don't think that makes her bad, though. She, I don't even she's think got some dirt on her. Yeah. She She's not Dust, 100% maybe. wholesome. Well, she was picked on when she was in high school, the um, or in grade school or whatever, and she would have... Wasn't everyone picked on at some point in your life when you were in school? Right, but that doesn't make her a a bad person just because she was a victim of a bully, maybe, in the past. No, I'm just saying she's got some addiction problems. She she has some flaws. That was another part of the movie I didn't really think that they did a very good job with. Right. And they showed her taking one pill at one point. And then she gets drugged by Gordo. I mean, does she really have an addiction problem? She stole a handful of pills from her neighbor. She's not. I, out. I would argue if you're stealing pills from your neighbor, you have a problem. A problem, but maybe not a problem <laughs> of addiction. Maybe it's a problem of uh, anxiety brought about by someone. Kleptomania? <laughs> no. She's being menaced by a weirdo, and she's had all these bad feelings about her husband. She's not on the street corner, you know, selling her body for crack. She's not that bad, and and she only takes a little bit of pills, and and uh, Simon finds them all. I, I just don't think it was. I mean, they could have done a better job uh, showing her descent if they wanted to portray her as someone with those sort of skeletons. I don't know. I I, kinda, I, I like it. I like her relationship with Bateman, um, and I it got me thinking. Once she get gets in the hospital, there was a great little Easter egg. Did you catch the Easter egg? I caught it while we were watching it. I don't know, maybe, maybe. Did you notice the number of her hospital room? No, was it 666? 237. Oh, okay. So it's a reference to The Shining, which is Mm -hmm. a great movie about marriage. (laughs) Yeah. And the descent into madness. Yeah, and you know, a guy who seems like a good husband, he's trying hard. Okay, another thing... uh, And slowly descends and unravels. I only found out in research was uh, there was another character, a tertiary character, who shows up at the uh, dinner parties. He's never really introduced, and to me, he looked a lot like Joel Edgerton. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if it was some sort of doppelganger. It was his brother. Oh, okay. Nash Edgerton. I know Nash did some of the directing in this film. Well, he's also a stunt double for Joel in a lot of his movies, and he does look like him, and he does walk like him. And mm-hmm. and I think it they made a point of not introducing who he was or giving him any sort of real characteristics so that a person like me can drive themselves crazy thinking, wait a minute, <laughs> who is that guy? Is that Gordo? There's a doppelganger in this movie, too. I like it. So, I kind of like that part. I'm really big on the Joel Edgerton. I think he's uh, going to get a lot of award consideration next year. You want my uh, bull solid lock sure. for the Oscars of All right. 2017. I write this down. Yeah. Okay. He's going to get nominated for Best Actor the film Midnight Special. It doesn't open until March 18th. This is for 2017? 2017 Oscars. He's nominated for Best Actor. All right. Bold prediction. Bold prediction. Uh, Midnight Special is the story of a father and son who go on the run after the dad learns his child possesses special powers. Right. I told you about this two or three years ago. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah, it was a it was a, sort of a weird one of one of our weird recommendation movie or uh, podcasts. Oh, and you okay? Well, because um, it's got uh, 
the guy from Take Shelter in it. Michael Shannon. He also yeah. has Kirsten Dunst, and this is directed by Jeff Nichols, the guy who did Take Shelter right. and Mud. Right. It was right after Mud. It was shortly after Mud. I read about it. I, okay. I recommended it to you. Apparently, I didn't remember. But I was. I was mean much to you. I was trying to see what else Joel Edgerton was, you know, going to be in. Wow, that's a that is a bold prediction. So Midnight Special. I will also say Rebecca Hall gets nominated. Okay. And I'm not sure when this movie's coming out, but she's going to be in a movie called Christine, where she plays Christine Kubuk. Another movie I've mentioned to you. Yeah. About the uh But I'm reporter. making predictions, yeah, about the reporter who committed suicide on air. All right. Another bold prediction. So both of these actors are going to get nominated for Oscars. Next year. Yeah, more Not than a year. year from now. All right. Well, Joel Edgerton's going to be Put in, in the uh, book. <laughs> Okay. I'll have to write it on the on the blog somewhere because we got my predictions. Mm-hmm. I just don't remember them all. Uh, he's going to be in Black Mass, I think. With Johnny Depp? Yeah. So, And I've seen him in a few of the trailers. He plays a bigger role than he's played in other movies. So maybe he'll, maybe he'll supersede your prediction here and get a Best Supporting Actor. For Black nomination Man. for Black Mass. Possibly he'll also be in Jane Got a Gun whenever that gets if released. If it ever comes out. Yeah. Isn't he, is he in The Revenant also? I don't know. I don't think I don't, so. I don't, I, I don't remember that. seeing that when I was doing my research for the show. Well, all right. But those are my bold predictions. All right. We'll keep those and keep bold, track of those bold there. Bold predictions. Do you remember in 2006 when that dude, Charles Roberts, shot up that Amish schoolhouse? Yeah. Killed, I think, 10 girls 10 little school girls the day of that murder um some amish neighbor neighbors visited the roberts family to comfort them in their sorrow and pain and uh later that week roberts family was invited to the funeral of one of the girls in this amish community and it said that the uh, amish mourners outnumbered the non-amish at charles roberts funeral because i guess he killed himself I think the police may have taken him down. Okay, I'm not 100 percent on that. That's that's what this movie made me think about. Weirdly, the Amish, their willingness to forgive people, hmm. and uh, it just made me think about like because she was big on having him go to Gordo and ask for forgiveness, and he's he does he goes to see him, but he doesn't really ask for forgiveness, and Gordo's in no mood to give it to him. But I was thinking about the what a powerful gesture forgiveness is in terms of the impact that it has in a positive way over the uh, gesture of revenge and i'm wondering if in like a weird metaphysical way i was trying to think which would have made more of an impact if gordo had willingly forgiven bateman or uh, simon or if he does what he does and you know semi-rapes his wife and I mean, I wonder if in the end, if it, if there would have been any growth in Simon's character based on that forgiveness, if he had willingly given him, you know, something. And I was just thinking about the way that those emotions I don't think, play out. Yeah, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Forgiveness is a is something that's hard to do, but it's probably also more fulfilling to the human psyche. I don't yeah. think Joel Edrian's character is one to forgive. I mean, he is a weirdo. He's made fun of in high school for being a weirdo, but he is weird. Right, Deep down, just... I mean, he does have some problems. Does that give Bateman the right to bully him? No. Well, there are a couple of times when, when, when Gordo visits the house where he says, 
I believe that you can build on negative things. Like the bad things that happen to you can actually turn into positive things. And that could have given Simon an opportunity to say, hey, man, you know, I know we treated you poorly when we were in high school. Was he fishing for that? I don't know. You can read it like that. I think you can definitely read it like that because he's definitely putting the bait out there. Now, he does give a note that the past is in the past. Yeah, he's, he says that. Let bygones be bygones or something like that. I was willing to let bygones be bygones. Mm-hmm. I was willing to, but, well, that means that he's not now. But that comes late in the in the movie. So I'm wondering if, if at any point along the line, if Bateman's character had made that gesture to ask for, for of con- contrition and ask for forgiveness. If it could have gone a different way, or it would have gone a different. I know it could have done done something, because when he leaves, didn't you know when he leaves his house, uh, not the real house, but Gordo's, like gets in his car and he goes off. Didn't you know he was taping that, their conversations? Did that it, come as a surprise to you later when it? No, I mean, but that's the whole thing. I would never have that conversation right with my wife right there yeah in the guy's house and i'm not sure that the house is empty you know could there be other people right uh, and if, if she was so caring would she have left his name spelled weirdo on the refrigerator door yeah I, I feel that was one of the more telegraph moments as soon as he writes something down yeah which seems stupid if this guy's randomly showing up at my house why do i want to leave something out in the open yeah yeah there were a lot of things that, that i had problems with but I don't know the idea with the the whole concept of forgiveness and sort of the car the karmic reality of uh, that gesture just occurred to me while I was watching the movie. So. Yeah, no, I, I I agree. I don't think this is trying to be a movie about forgiveness, though, or the lack of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. She's not going to forgive uh, Simon at the end. Does she find out that she may have been raped? Oh, if you're Simon, do you go and tell her? Yeah. Or if you're Gordo, do you go and tell her? Like, is the child the gift of the title of the movie? Because <laughs> it's not, he gives him a series of gifts, so, but the gift refers to one thing. So what do you think that is? What, what is, is it the, the child? gift? No, because if you, the child's supposed to be ambiguous. I mean, I thought they tried to do a good job with setting up the eyes and Bateman's looking at the kid's eyes and he can't figure out, are those my eyes or are those Gordo's eyes? Right. There's that ambiguousness to it. So if you say the baby's the gift, then that's right. You know, they, it stops being ambiguous. Well, what's the gift then? And the title? You think it's just a throwaway title? Yeah, just it's the original. Yeah, gift. I think it's the baby. All right. So you you don't. I I like the movie being ambiguous. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like. I like there being a concrete gift as opposed to an abstract gift. I know if I recommended this movie to students, you know, said you know I saw this kind of interesting thriller. When they'd seen it and came back to class, they would be upset about the ending. Well, is that his kid or not? Right. The, our students hate ambiguous endings. Would you have asked them what what's the it. gift? No, I don't buy into. I didn't buy into. Oh, who's the true detective in that series? In that show? Oh well, that was. Yeah, that's that. That's a different argument. But, but true detective is, people try and tack on. That. Yeah, but that's that's a holdover from the first series. The, the fact that this was titled True Detective 2 is I didn't marketing. think there was a True Detective in the first season. Well, there may or may not have been, but that's that has nothing to do with this season. That's people looking too close. I think stuff. that it's important to look at the title. 
I know it's important to look at the title with the rover. Well, do you know what the original title to this movie was? Weirdo. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which I would have enjoyed more. The Weirdo would have been good. Just Weirdo. Because I would like to recommend to people. Go see Weirdo. Yeah, go, go see Weirdo. Why did he change it? Because I think the gift is more ambiguous. And if you saw... It has greater it, symbolic power. Well, The trailer, it hints at a very different type of movie. And I think the trailer hints that there's going to be a lot of physical violence visited upon this family. So you think the gift is uh, marketing? You yeah. think the title is marketing? Yeah, it's a much right, more marketable title. It goes well with movies like The Box with uh, Cameron Diaz. Right. No, I think, it, I think it's the baby. All right, fair enough. <laughs> I still think you should see the movie. I do too. The listeners want to know where we stand on the box office challenge, Mr. Two Frames. I feel that I can make a comeback. I can be Lazarus. I can I, rise from the dead. I, I still feel like I'm going to win. I don't feel as confident. My final film, Fantastic Four, opened last weekend and only made $25.7 million. Flat four. Yeah, which is one of the worst openings ever 25? for a I thought superhero. it was 28. That's even worse than I thought. Oh, it kept going down all weekend. <laughs> how, does, how does the box office go down? Generally, they go up. Oh, no, no, no. People, more, people were asking for their money back on this movie. And I told you this last week yeah, on the show, right. so you know, that I had bad feelings about this, and I was hoping it could make at least 40. Um, basically, it boils down to I have 209.8 million. I'm up by about 28 million on you. So I need to make 29 million uh, with Sinister 2, mm-hmm. which opens week after next. Mm-hmm. Possible. It makes for an interesting We Laugh. Next week. I'm a little worried. Generally, horror movies don't get out of the teens. Well, generally. Insidious went from 13 million. Uh, Insidious 2 had made, I think, 45 million. There's a chance. <sighs> so there's a small I, chance. And, and All right. So I'm going to make another argument. The two movies that are going up against it mm-hmm. are sort of like action spy movie things. They, they sort of cancel each other out. Mm-hmm. So, eh. this is your late in the summer horror movies. Sometimes these catch fire. Yeah. Um, Never know. The marketing out, the marketing's been out there for this movie. The Conjuring, I think, did twenty-seven million two years Ooh, ago. Twenty-seven million. That'll make it interesting. I don't remember what Friday the Thirteenth did a couple years ago. Of I know we, Halloween two did twenties. We, we have no stakes. There's nothing <laughs> really that we have to worry about. I'm just. With, I just I, want bragging rights. I want bragging rights. And my movies looked so good on paper at the beginning of summer. Uh-huh. Uh, Magic Mike underperformed by a good 15 million. Fantastic Four underperformed by about 40 million. Yeah. I well, should have won this hands down on, walk away. On paper, you're an NFL linebacker. <laughs> 6'2", 250 or whatever. Yeah. Uh, uh, oh, well, it so. is what it is. <laughs> we, we will see in two weeks. We'll see. All right, so if you have anything that you want to add to uh, our our take on the gift, you can blog us, uh, right? Can't you blog with us? You can, <laughs> can you send to our blog or something? You can write comments on our website, Ooh, thelaughpodcast.com. The I don't know. Or you could email us at thelaughpodcast at gmail.com, tweet us at thelaughpodcast, or we're even on Facebook at facebook.com slash thelaughpodcast. Ooh, that's good stuff. Looking forward to hearing from you. Our closing theme is brought to you by Atara Valentine. It's the song Break Free. You can check him out on YouTube. Those will be in the the link for that will be in the show notes on uh, thelaughpodcast.com. 
and uh, uh, we're going to let the, the whole song play through to the end. So we hope that you enjoy that. I like this type of music. It reminds me of my youth. Rat. Twisted Sister. That kind of stuff. <laughs> Alright, so uh, for Mr. Uh, Two Frames over there, it's been a pleasure. I'm the L Train. Fox at Bottom, everybody. There be dragons. good stuff <laughs> the lab podcast you don't sound convinced <laughs> really that's the good stuff <laughs> all right now i gotta start over that's <laughs> the good stuff <laughs> i'm eeyore all right it's the good stuff all right <laughs>